Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a wonderful show today. Daryl B. Harrison is going to be joining me in just seconds. That's going to be great. And then a little Friday with friends. We'll be joined by Henry Hall. And then we're going to have some great uh, discussions in hour two. I'm going to keep it a little bit of a surprise for right now. But uh, all right, Greg Kokel is coming on. He's going to talk about his uh, brilliant way of doing apologetics. And then Trillia Newbell is going to talk about Romans chapter eight. I think it's going to be... A great show. And I'm looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And I've been thinking a lot this week, because we've been doing our Salvation Summer Series, and I am excited about that. And I, if you've missed any of it, please go to MyFaithRadio.com and get on the, um, the listening bandwagon, because we've got two episodes right now down and four more to go, and you're going you're, you're gonna to love it. If you missed any of it, I want to encourage you to go back and do that. Uh, Daryl B. Harrison is uh, my first guest, and he is the director of social media at uh, Grace to You in California. He's also, uh, he's got a really long resume, and I'll eat up all of our time if I go through it. So let me just bring him on. Daryl, how are you? Bill Arnold, it's been a while, my friend. I know, I know. I, I, <laughs> miss, I miss you, and I want you on more often. <laughs> So, hey, my friend, how you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing good, thank you. I'm glad it's. Um, I'm glad to have you on the show, and I, I've got questions for you. I want to talk about a couple of things today. Um, one yep. is I want to ask you how subjective is social justice, and hey. then after the break, I'd love to talk to you about assurance. Okay, so that's my agenda. Yeah. Do you today. want me to go ahead? Do you want me to go ahead and tackle those now? Oh, indeed. I want to start with uh, just how subjective is social justice. Yeah, as a movement, the social justice movement is very subjective. As a matter of fact, I just uh, I just posted on my blog a new uh, article that I wrote over the weekend, this past weekend, and I titled it "The Subjective Indignation of the Social Justice Movement." And I just felt compelled to call out that subjectivity because, as a movement, their indignation seems to be uh, ignited or peaked. Uh, only when certain incidents occur within society. Mm-hmm. So that's what gives it its subjectivity. So that's where I get the subjectivity from, because you know, if, if you if you go over recent history and you survey the landscape of the past five, uh, seven to eight years, um, it it only takes certain incidents to uh, get the movement reignited and starting to talk about elements of their agenda. Uh, such as uh, social justice, uh, liberation, and then the ubiquitous topic of slavery incessantly comes up. Um, But the most recent incident was the killing of George Floyd on May 25th of this year. Now, prior to George Floyd being killed, everything was pretty much quiet on the social justice landscape. So May 24th, 
um, everything was fine. Aunt Jemima pancakes were okay to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eskimo pies were okay to right. eat. The Washington, Washington Redskins didn't have to change their name on May 24th. But May 26th, the day after George Floyd was killed, all of a sudden, all that's anathema. All that's anathema only because of that incident on May 25th in Minnesota, uh, whereby George Floyd was killed um, at the hands of uh, former uh, police officer Derek Chauvin. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't the only incident. There's, uh, as, as I point out in the blog article, there's a pattern here. So you can go back from the George Floyd killing in May to uh, the killing of Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner in uh, New York, Michael Brown in um, um, uh, outside of uh, St. Louis, uh, Trayvon Martin down in Florida, Ahmad Arbery uh, in Georgia recently. Uh, but it's these selective incidents that uh, that sort of stokes the fires of the social just, justice movement and gets those folks, such as Black Lives Matter, gets, gets those folks all riled up to where they want to protest, remonstrate, demonstrate. And then you have calls for all types of uh, remediation in terms of uh, uh, reparations and other uh inequity uh, uh, types of repentance in terms of uh, material and economic good. Uh, And now lately, we've even seen uh, uh, Truett Cathy, uh, who runs uh, Chick-fil-A, head of the Chick-fil-A company, um, getting on board the bandwagon. And we've got white people going around the country literally washing the feet of black people in a a show of – I guess solidarity with the uh, historical suffering of black people in, in America. But long story short, the social justice movement, as a movement, as an entity, okay, as a collective, is very, very subjective. It just, it just has. The only thing that has to happen is the right incident to occur mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to get to get them get them all fired up. So, Daryl, how does that how does that fall on on, on your shoulders? What is that? What is that? How does that have you feel? I mean, for me, yeah, uh, it, it, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't feel any way uh, in particular as a black person. Okay, so the uh, the, the situation uh, that happened with regard to George Floyd, you and I have talked about this before, mm-hmm. Bill. Uh, you know, my connection to him begins and ends with the fact that he was an image bearer of God. Yes, that's where I start and stop. That's where, that's where my concern begins. And ends now. That situation is still being adjudicated uh, through the courts. Uh, several uh, officers, in addition to Derek Chauvin, have been arrested and charged um, in that in that incident. But as a Christian, first and foremost, okay, as a Christian, first and foremost, my uh, my indignation is uh, peaked and triggered as a result of. Uh, the, the 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 degree to which sin continues to wreak havoc in our society. This this should be no surprise to any of us as Christians. So even to the extent that a police officer who wears a badge, on appearances anyway, behaves in a in a in, in a manner which is totally an- antithetical to what what his badge represents. Still, even a police officer is a sinner. So 
even the actions carried out on May 25th are no surprise to me, although it does sadden me that our condition uh, spiritually uh, is so depraved that even in positions of trust, we often fail. We often fall. Um, and sometimes others lose their lives uh, for it. But as I did in the article, as I try to do consistently, I, maybe I don't always, but I try to be consistent in pointing everyone back to the biblical truth. Uh, and and we, we find that truth in the gospel that we all carry within us the, 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 the homardiological DNA, if you will, of the sin of our first parents. We all carry that within us. And apart from the grace of God and our willingness to submit to his rule over our lives in every aspect of our lives, there's no telling what kind of evil you and I are capable of. No. So true. we're, We're no different in that regard. So when I look at society, I just long for the return of Christ. When I look at incidents like what happened to George, George Floyd, I, I, I long for the return of Christ even more, because it's only his return that's going to make everything right, finally and forever. Mm-hmm. Daryl, how do we apply Scripture to this issue? Yeah, so when you look at um, the the uh, the issue of uh, of injustice, mm-hmm. I think a, a text that a text that comes to mind immediately immediately for me is in Ecclesiastes chapter five verse eight. If I can flip there real quick, as long as I can hear pages turning, you can. Yes, sir. Yeah, I like I like hearing that on the show. Five. I like hearing Bible pages turning on the show. Yeah, I'm old school, Make, man. That, that makes I, me I try, happy. I try to have yeah. I try to have <laughs> my my. my my paper Bible handy. No. Ecclesiastes 5 8 says this. My okay? kind of guy. Ecclesiastes 5 8. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. So Ecclesiastes 5 8 reiterates the point that I was making just a second ago that even people who are in positions of trust, these are people who have recited oaths. They've basically sworn, they've promised to protect and serve. Sometimes, excuse me, we need to remind ourselves that those individuals are sinners as well. As we see also, again, in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 7, verse 20, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. That's Ecclesiastes 7, 20. So we always have to remind ourselves that, because we have such a habit, right, of looking at the what, right? We look at the what that happened. We look at the actual incident or the event, and that's usually where we stop. We usually react to the what. But as Christians, right, what does God say himself? He says, come now, let us reason together. All right, so as Christians, we have to pause and reason this thing out biblically. Okay, so when we see injustice occur, we not only are focusing on the what, but the why, the why of injustice is always sin. Sin is always the problem, and you're never going to remedy a, either a collective social injustice or an individual injustice between two individuals. You're never going to remedy that simply by um, replacing what was lost, right, or mm-hmm. replacing what was stolen or replacing what was taken 
unless the sin that led to that act is dealt with. You gain nothing. You get you get what you gained is behavior change, behavior change, but you have not gained repentance and heart generation. And those two things are not the same. That's some good, solid thinking, Daryl. Oh, I could just sit and listen to you talk all afternoon. But I do need to take a break, so I'll be back with you in ninety seconds. Daryl B. Harrison is my guest. We'll be right back. to the show. So glad to have Daryl B. Harrison as my guest. He is the Dean of Social Media at Grace to You. Daryl, you have so much to offer, and thank you so much for your constantly biblical perspective on all of this. Well, no need to thank me, Bill. I mean, but by the grace of God, you know, I have to give the Lord the credit. And I think, uh, you know, these are challenging times for Christians. And I say that, you say they sound like a a cliche, but I really don't mean it that way. These are challenging times for Christians to where, where, where God is really calling us to stand by what we say we believe. Okay, we, we really have to put our uh, gospel money, if you will, where our mouth is. Um, you know, do, do, do we trust, you know, do we trust in the sovereignty of God and all that we're seeing going on in the world, right? So we know from 1 John 5, 9, uh, that, that the Scripture makes it un, uh, unambiguously clear here in 1 John 5, 9, that we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I did some um, exegesis on that verse the other day, and I looked up in the Greek what the, word, what the word whole world means, what that phrase whole world means in 1 John 5, 9. And when you look at it in the Greek, the, the words whole world actually means completely. So the world completely, com- the, the, the world systems, its way of life, its mores, its predilection, everything that we see uh, regarding the, the unbiblical activities, the ungodly and unchristlike activities that are going on in the world, everything that we see is inculcated here in this one verse in 1 John 5, 9, that the, the world completely is completely in the power of the evil one. Now, of course, Satan's power does not supersede that of our omnipotent God. There is only one omnipotent entity in this universe, and that is God himself. But Christians are being challenged, though, by the evil that we see. Hmm. Is God in control? Is it, you know, is, is, is what is going on? So uh, we have to remind ourselves that we have a God who is sovereign, who reigns over the most minute detail that occurs in his universe, and that there is nothing that's out of control. It may be beyond our control, but it's not out of control. Good point, uh, Daryl. Now, we've been talking uh, a little bit about the, the subjectiveness of the social justice movement, and if there's, you know, picking and choosing going on, they're not consistent. So are they, why are they not speaking out more loudly against the, the 19 million unborn black babies that have been uh, aborted since Roe v. Wade? Yeah, I think that may be, Bill, the most um, tangible example of the subjectivity 
of the social justice movement. So when you talk about the social justice movement, you really have to break that term down and define it. Okay, what do we mean by social and what do we mean by justice? Now, the assumption is that by social, you mean everyone in society. So you're, you're, you've got the concerns, the best interests. You want the best for everyone in society. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and assume that that's your definition of just of social, that you've got everyone in the society uh, um, included in that in that definition. Now, so how do you define justice? So that's next. Well, that's where the subjectivity comes in, because. If you're if you're truly concerned with social justice and your definition of social incorporates everybody in the society, then you have to ju- your concern about one individual such as George Floyd must carry over to your concern for unborn individuals as well. I agree. So as I point out in the blog article, I point out that the glaring disparity in this rationale. That social justice, social justicians will care about uh, one black man being uh, killed by one police officer, and yet since 1973 and the uh, Roe v. Wade decision, 19 million unborn black babies have been murdered through abortion. 19 million. That's about, I don't know, just to give a a point of reference, uh, that's almost that's more than half the population of uh, Los Angeles. So. That's that's an entire city, and it was just a few years ago. I think I saw an article where in New York, Bill, there are more black babies aborted than born in New York City. Okay, but you will never hear a peep, not a whisper, out of Black Lives Matters, out of any other uh, entity that puts itself out there as being concerned about social justice. Well, why? Because their their definition of justice. It's selective. It's subjective. It is not objective. If your definition of justice was objective, it would apply unequivocally and without partiality regard to situation or circumstance to everyone. Okay, so mm-hmm. if you, you meaning you would be just as concerned about a uh, the uh, uh, apparent uh, sinful behavior of a police officer. You would be just as concerned though about what's going inside. Of what's going on inside of a Planned Parenthood clinic, and the fact that most parent, Planned Parenthood clinics, by design, are located in poor Black inner city, poor Black Hispanic neighborhoods. Well, there's a reason for that. So yeah, the sub- subjectivity again of the social justice movement as a movement is very selective. It is not objective at all. And the biggest problem we have is the hatred that people have in their own hearts. The people who you know live with. Um, these feelings of superiority and and feelings of I'm I'm better than um, my brother, and there's a lot of hatred and discord going on in people's hearts. Yeah, there is, and and that brings us back to the sin issue, right? And I've always, um, especially for professing Christians, that should never, ever be said of any Christian, anyone who claims the name of Jesus Christ, those types of heart attitudes should never be associated with one who professes to follow Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I think often, Bill, where if, if there is someone who professes to be a believer, now I, I, I expect an unbeliever to act that way. I yeah, expect an unbeliever to have that degree of pride and arrogance 
and um, adverse about themselves. But for the professing believer, when you stop to remind yourself that you had nothing to do with the ethnicity that you have, you have absolutely nothing to do with that. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Your ethnicity, whatever it may be, is a part of your personhood by the providence of God. And I say that on the basis of such verses as Acts seventeen twenty six, where it says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So not only did God, do we have in this one verse, we have in this one verse the sovereignty of God in creating you as you are when you were born. So God's sovereignty resulted in you being born. It also resulted in when you were born and where you were born. Okay, so if we're going to boast about anything, it's not going to be about, you know, um, uh, in a prideful way, our ethnicity, because I had nothing to do with that. Why would I boast about something? It's like Paul says in one of the epistles. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Well, that's that's one of the best rhetorical questions you're going to find in Scripture. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The, the, the obvious answer is nothing. I don't have anything that I did not receive. So when we talk about, and this is why, Bill, I love to um, um, revert back to biblical vernacular and biblical terms. So we have the culture. It seems like in the culture you have a new term to get used to every day. So they got all these isms and all these phobias, <laughs> isms like racism. No, the Bible speaks in, 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 in very simple terms. Scripture talks about two attitudes. There's only two attitudes that I can have towards you, Bill. I can either love you or hate you. Okay, so I'm looking right now, for instance, at First John chapter two, verses nine through eleven. I'll read these real quick. First John two nine through eleven. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we see here in 1 John 2, verses 9 through 11, Scripture is clear. Scripture is very simple. Scripture speaks in terms of love and hate. The one who says he loves with his mouth, but really in his heart, hates that other person because their skin color is different, is, 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 is number one, lying. And then number two is walking in spiritual darkness. You're spiritually blind. You're fooling mm-hmm. yourself. You know, so there, so so there's that. And again, scripture's very clear. It's a love hate issue. It's not a. It's not about isms mm-hmm. at all. I just uh, got forty seconds left, uh, Daryl. I just got a message from one of my favorite regular listeners. Said, "Hey, Bill, I get to hear the mighty intellectual Christian Daryl B. Harrison going into my work shift. It's a huge blessing and a gift. Thank you, brother. My mask won't hide my joy." Wow! Isn't that nice? Thank you. You Thank are, you you are lo- wow. You're loved. That's so nice. Yeah. So wow. let's just point people towards the podcast that you're doing on Assurance with Virgil Walker. We never got around to that. Yeah. So you can go to justthinking.me. Justthinking.me. Our latest episode is Assurance of Salvation. That's about a two-hour episode. Uh, but once you listen to it, you'll understand fully why it's two hours. I know what I'm doing tonight. Thanks so much, Daryl. Thank you, Bill. Love yep. you, brother. Talk to you next time. I love you, too. Daryl B. Harrison has been Bye-bye. my guest. We'll take a little break. When we come back, it is Friday with Friends. Henry Hall is in my studio. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad that I have in studio Henry Hall. It is Fridays with friends, so I like just uh, bringing my friends in once in a while and just talking and hearing stories and finding out what God's doing in their life and what God has done in their life. And I've uh, always enjoyed uh, Henry's story, and I've found him to be a constant source of inspiration to so many. And when you're out uh, sharing your hope and faith with others, I think you're um, you're using your time well. And uh, he's here to talk about um, a lot of his life and story. Henry, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you kidding? This is great. So, give our listeners a little bit of a, a, a you know a sketch of you growing up. I know at age ten you were already um, kind of a tough kid. <laughs> well. I began drinking at an early age down in Texas and uh, found myself in a lot of trouble at a later age, but started out about 10 years old, started drinking, started uh, dabbling with beers here and there, and uh, at about the age of, I think, about sixth grade, I found myself in in a lot more trouble. I started carrying a pistol. Sixth grade? Sixth grade. How'd you get that pistol, Henry? I went up, rode my aunt's bike to a store. And I stole it, Bill. <laughs> All right. I knew the answer to that question, but I wanted to let our listeners hear as well. You're 10 years old, stealing a gun. Yeah. Okay. And I stole the pistol. I used to carry it every day to school. Uh, a little protection. Oh, yeah. Packing heat. So, I mean, you're, you're 10. Got to have some protection, right? It's hot there. You got to. <laughs> All right. But, yeah, and uh, wind up getting a little trouble uh, with that pistol. Can't imagine. I used to get paddlings every day from my principal. And I uh, got tired of it one day, so waited out in the parking lot for him. Wind up shooting at my principal. And uh, I say now, thank God I did miss, but at the time, Lord knows I was trying to hit him. All right. So, <laughs> that, principals beware, huh? <laughs> but, yeah, and then, uh, unfortunately, didn't stop there, so... I I continued to drink a little bit and uh, smoke weed, started selling weed. And high school, around high school age, I, I got into another drug called cocaine. Okay. And at that time, it was uh, crack cocaine. And I did that for a while and uh, and didn't stay with it long then, but then picked it back up later in the later years. After I got injured playing football, I thought my life was over and it just turned to drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then what was it like uh, living in, I know you lived in Texas, and you moved into a neighborhood, and you had some kids uh, do something pretty shocking. You weren't even sure what was going on at the time. Well, I was out. I was in my yard and in my house. I looked outside, and I, I told my sister, I told her, I said, looks like the neighbor's house is on fire. And I looked, and I looked again. It was a big old cross burning out in front of my house. I went and got one of, one of my books and looked up the history. And it was it was a cross imitating, you know, it was for hatred is what it was for. Mm-hmm. So your family wasn't uh, welcome in the neighborhood? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. So you're, you've got um, that going on, and then you also had a, a brush with some guys that wanted to just kind of end your life. Yep. I was hung one time, found myself on the end of a rope uh, with a noose still around my neck. Thank God I was living. And, and I say thank God a lot. Because I really do like to thank him. Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. I know that now. Mm-hmm. So, Henry, it's uh, what was it like? Um, because you had your family, your mom and dad were intact, weren't they? 
No, my my dad passed away when I was two, so oh, I was gotcha, raised by gotcha. my mother. Okay, so she was doing her very best. Was there uh, a, a man, an uncle, a grandparent? Was there anybody um, sort of stepping up and being able to sort of mentor a young Henry? No, it was just my mom. My mom. My mom worked uh, worked four jobs, and it was it was five kids. I had four older sisters, and I was the youngest. So she is just not around very much because she has to work to feed the family. She worked all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know uh, she did the best she could, and uh, it was just the choices that I made to go do the things that I, I wanted to do at the mm-hmm. time. So when you ended up having your football career end, I think you had a pretty promising future. And when that thing ended, you sort of felt a little bit on the deflated side, like sports may may, may not be my future now. Well, no, after that, I just uh, I honestly... I went into it like a darkness, a darkness, and 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 all I I thought of doing was just drugging and, and drinking, mm-hmm. and uh, got me in a lot of trouble. And uh, how much trouble? I wind up I wind up in a, in a familiar place that people will know if they're from Texas. It's called the it's called TDC. It stands for the Texas Department of Corrections. Gotcha. So you were in government housing for a while. Oh yeah. Yeah. How was the apartment? Small. It was a very small apartment with some accommodations, but none that I would trade for now. Yeah. And what? tell me what that was like there. Well, I worked out in the field. I worked out in the field. Uh, on manual a, labor stuff. On a r- real manual labor. Okay. Yeah, we use, we use a special tool called a garden hoe, but at the time we wasn't able to call it. Uh, the name was politically incorrect. We couldn't call it that name. Okay. We had to call it Aggie. Mm-hmm. So you had referred to the garden hoe as the Aggie. Yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, did that get your attention, just being in the Department of Corrections? Was it a wake-up call? Was it something that you thought, this is helping me, or were you just buying your time and waiting to get out? Well, no. I spent my time there and when, I, when I was there. I made up my mind when I was there to, to change, to make a change, to try to make a change. And I said, uh, I told, I talked to God. I always knew God. My mom taught me about him. But I didn't always follow him. And uh, but while I was there, I said, uh, you know, I'm going to take time out to seek God. And I did. And uh, even all the prisoners there gave me a nickname, Faith. They called you Faith? They called me Faith because I'd always, they would always ask me, you know, how do you do this? You never get visitors. You never get mail. And I told them, I said, I get a visit every day. And they're like, why? I said, I visit with God every day. And it was just the guys just started calling me faith. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you started to do some serious Bible study and, and time with the Lord in prison. Yes. I, I started when I got there. It was one guy that, that I started with the Bible study. He saw me studying the Bible every day. He came and joined me. By the time I left, it was a group of about 30 men. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So you're already seeing uh, the fruit of just God's Word and, and God's uh, reaching other people guys in the prison that you were with every day oh yeah yeah that's fantastic but i didn't stay i didn't stick to it and uh when i got out i i i went back to the to the ways of the world and uh i I wind up going back to drugs and alcohol again and uh moved from texas up to minnesota and uh during that time i went to a treatment center stayed sober for a year and a half Followed the Lord, 
each time I went back to my ways and left the Lord, I wind up using drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. But then, thank God, in 2006, I, I, I cried out to the Lord again, and he led me to a place, Salvation Army. And, and uh, I knew what I had to do. I just needed time out to get back on my relationship with God. And I tell you, there's a scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I had a taste, and now I want the whole cake. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you do have to taste and see just how good the Lord is. Because, you know, when you try to do it your way, you always end up in trouble, don't you? It's, it's When you don't yield to the authority of God in your life, you start to stray off the path, and it's always bad. It's, it's nothing good will ever come of the, of the drugs and alcohol. I, I've never seen, it, it doesn't matter what you do, what you use, how you do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a famous quote that, 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 that a, a, friend, a, a great preacher says all the time, be sure your sins will find you out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it will, come to, your sin, it will come to pass, and it will be bad. Because it always is. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can't hide. You can't run. No. You know, and everyone's looking for Jesus whether they know it or not. I, and he's always there. He's always there. You can't, you can't escape him. He's always there. And I, and I say that as a, as a living testimony. God has always been there with me. Mm-hmm. No matter where I've been, God has been with me. I've, I've hidden from him. Ran from him, but he's always been there. And I just, I, I like to say, no matter what you do, God will never leave you nor forsake you. That's exactly correct, Henry. That is powerful. And, that, you know, I can just see, I can see the passion in your, in your face, in your eyes, because you know that Jesus is um, so true and so Loving and so caring and never lets up on us, does he? He never, he never will. He, he's the only thing that, that we have that we can always depend on. He never will run out, never will leave you. And, and, and you, there's, he's always there. That's all I can say. He's always there. You'll always be there for you. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting because having had a little bit of experience in trouble with the law, um, you had uh, some relatives that were law enforcers. My father-in-law. My <laughs> father-in-law was a, was he started out as a as a as a beat cop, a street cop, and retired as a detective. And another another thing I I, I say God has been there because now my, a man that once didn't want it, me to have anything to do with his daughter is now my best friend and and. I can honestly say that that he loves me and I love him, and uh, I mean uh, it's it started out in a bad situation. I met my wife in the sixth grade. I was in the eighth, and uh, he found out that I was sitting by his daughter. He didn't like that. He didn't like it at all. He <laughs> he told her that he'd better never hear her sitting by me again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that all changed. Oh, it changed. It changed over the years, and uh, but it took it took it took the work of the Lord, you know, because he 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 turned me into the man that I am now, and and not the not the 
the guy that I was before. Mm -hmm. All right. There's so much to talk about uh, in your life, Henry, and what God's been doing and what God continues to do, you know, and I'm always encouraged. Every time I see you, you've got a gigantic smile on your face, and I know that life does not, um, not, it's not always perfect, and it's always difficult at times, but you always have the joy of the Lord, and I always see it, and I always am inspired by it. So I'm going to take a little break, but when I come back, I want to hear more about... Um, i got some questions for you. All right, you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Henry Hall is my guest. Friday with Friends. I'll be right back. Fridays with friends, and my friend Henry Hall is my guest, and I've done a lot of ministry with Henry, and I just love him, and I love his love for the Lord, and I'm always uh, inspired by his ongoing um, willingness to share his hope and faith with every everyone he meets, and so it's always an inspiration. So, Henry, you're growing up as a, as a kid in Texas. Now, you're obviously um, living in Minneapolis, and an adult as Throughout your adulthood, have you found that you were always kind of looking over your shoulder in terms of police? Were they? Did you feel like they were they were keeping an eye on you or not treating you uh, well or justly? Or what was your experience just in the last ten years? And then what is it like today? Well, over the years, um, I didn't have much respect for police, but I found out now why I didn't. It was because I was doing wrong things, but when I when I realized that they have a job to do, and they're doing their job, and they chose that job to help protect me, and I treat them with respect, and I feel they will give me the respect that I deserve. But when you're doing wrong, you feel like they're picking on you, and it's that they're not picking on you; they're doing their job. And and I feel like just don't do the wrong things, and they won't bother you. I mean, they have a job to do. Mm-hmm. So you feel, though, that even today you're not as concerned just because you're you're following the Lord and you're you're not feeling like the police are you have the same relationship you once had with them. Oh yeah, back back then uh, I was you know. I was doing the wrong things that that would have have the reason for the police to mess with me. That that's why I feared them. But now, I mean, uh, I don't fear them. You know, I don't fear the police because they're doing a job. And the thing of it is, when trouble comes, that's who I call. <laughs> you know, so I want them around, and out of respect, you have to respect them. And when you're doing no wrong, I don't see them really bothering you. Mm -hmm. Did you have to give your kids a talk about how to be around police or how to be prepared if you get stopped? 
Well, I always uh, try to tell my kids, growing up in Texas, it was a little different because back in the day, when I was doing wrong, I knew the cops wanted me. Unfortunately, they all knew me. And they always had a, a thing out for me because I was doing wrong. Okay. So I always taught my taught, told my kids to be careful because you're a product of me. And now they don't have to worry about that if, as long as they do what's right. Mm-hmm. So when you see things happening and you see people not doing right and having uh, conflicts with police, what are your thoughts? Well, they're doing their job. I think they're doing their job, and in anything you do, you do you get what you deserve. I mean, sometimes you get a little more than you expected, but if you do wrong, you're go, you're gonna have to pay for it, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Henry, I'd love to talk about just your your love for um, sharing your hope and faith with other men who have come out of um, coming out of addictions, or they're in the middle of it, or they've you know, had some time in prison. Um, that's uh, something that just kind of your your heartbeat, isn't it? Oh, I, I love to help the guys that are trying, all people that are trying to recover from any addiction or just trying to find their way to the Lord is, is, is my hope. Because I feel now to live without the Lord is just existing. Because we were made to serve the Lord. That, that's what we were made to do. And without him, you're existing, in, in my opinion, because he said that he will give you life and he give you more abundant life. And without him, you're existing. Mm-hmm. Did you have a um, a born-again experience as a young kid, or did that happen in prison, or where did that take place? Well, when I first, when I first uh, received the Lord, I was up in, in Minnesota, and it was years ago. It was it was a, quite a few years ago, but I backslid and went from the Lord. But from that time on, the first time that I ever received Christ, I always remembered that, and I knew what I needed to get back to. Mm-hmm. If there's a listener right now that has someone in their family that's you know struggling with addiction and they don't know what to say to them and they don't know how to love them, what what advice might you have for them? I would I would say. Just continue to pray for them. Mm-hmm. Continue to pray for them. And it might seem hard, but sometimes you have to love them at a distance. But continue to pray for them because prayer works. I know that I'm a product of prayer. I'm a product of my grandmother praying for me, my my sisters praying for me, my mother praying for me, the church praying for me, and many others. And prayer works. You just got to continue to pray. And as it says, pray without ceasing. Just continue to pray, you know, because when all else fails, all you can do is pray. Mm-hmm. And that's the first place we should go, not the last desperation. The first place we should go is well, to prayer. Well, yeah, because I, I like, I was told this by somebody, I can't remember, but a lot of times when we seek someone in addiction, we want to go to the phone, but I was told we need to go to the throne and not the phone. <laughs> I love that. It's fantastic. So 
as you continue to do uh, work with men and you continue to share your hope and faith with others, when you start to see uh, the lights come on in people's lives, there's nothing like it, is there? Oh, no, it's it's a joy. It's a joy. Uh, it, it gives me great joy because when I see someone that, that's, that has a new life in Christ, I always refer back to, look at God. He brought me out. He's doing the same for this guy. Mm-hmm. And it just... It's just lets me know God is no respecter of character. Yeah. But just to love them where they're at, you're so good at that. I know that you often show up at the recovery center and you'll shoot pool with guys. You'll, you'll engage them in conversation. You will just, you've got such a nice, warm, sort of attractive style that guys just open up to you. Well, it's all, it's, it's, it's gotta be the God they see in me. Because it's, it's not me. It's something else, and I give the credit to God. Mm-hmm. So do you ever get back to Texas, or are you kind of done with that state for now? Well, no, I I go back as much as I can, okay. and all my family's there, and, and uh, I plan on going there because now all the trouble's over. All the trouble's over mm-hmm. that I had with all the cops are retired. My father-in-law keeps up. He has, a like, a police page. He keeps up with all the police, all the ones that that were seeking me, uh, rightfully seeking me, I should say, because I gave them a reason to. They're, <laughs> they're retired or uh, long gone now. Yeah. What do you think about the, the younger kids today? When you have any interactions with younger kids, do they... Um, do they feel like... Do you feel like that they know right from wrong, or do they... Or do you feel like they've kind of... They're kind of completely reckless? The kids today, I think... <clears throat> Are, are very reckless. Mm-hmm. Kids today, in my point of view, they have no respect. The majority of them, they have no respect for their elders. They will talk bad to their elders. They wouldn't hold a door open for an elder at a store. They want to, it's just disrespectful. These kids today are very disrespectful. In my day, and and, and it's not long ago, but we were taught to respect our elders, no matter who they were or where they come from. But the kids today, they they don't even think twice. They, their, their language, they, they cuss, they smoke in front of grown people. They don't even try to hide it. Mm-hmm. It's a different different time, isn't it? It's very different. Yeah. Well, Henry, it's um, um, I'm always encouraged when I hear how much people love being back into the community where they were once a part of. You know, sometimes people who get through recovery treatment, they don't ever want to step foot in another recovery treatment. Or people that have once spent time in a jail or a prison, they never want to ever step foot back, even as a volunteer. But I really appreciate your heart that you say, look, at I, I just want to be used by God and I want to serve him. I think that's a great reminder today on this uh, time together is just to, you know, encourage people to say, let's, let's do what God has designed us to do. Let's go out and serve in whatever way we can, because it's a hurting world. It's in this time of day, the world is in, in a, in a very bad place right now. And I think right now, the best thing for the world to do is to turn from his wicked ways, repent and, and turn to God. Because to me, the issue is, is not so much racism. It's right and wrong. 
We need to learn right and wrong, and to do right, to serve the Lord is what we need. We need right now. We need. We need. We need revival right now. Is what Amen. this world needs. Amen. What a great word. What a great message, Henry. I'm so glad that you uh, said yes to Fridays with Friends, and you came in and uh, gave us this time together with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Bill. You kidding? Anytime. You're always welcome. Henry Hall's been my guest. That was Fridays with Friends. Henry's been a friend of mine for years, and I wanted you to hear his story because it's it's so amazing, and God is using him in such big ways. I get to serve with him in the recovery that I do on Friday nights at the Salvation Army. I always look forward to seeing Henry down there, and I always am grateful that God has let that door be open for me because, uh, you know, it's weird. I've never done drugs or alcohol in my life, yet I get to go talk to people in recovery, so go figure, you know. It's a great thing. We love having you, Bill. Yeah, it's always great. All right, we'll take a little break, and uh, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.